Amen. Stay uh, standing. Orange, yellow, purple stars. Y'all can head to uh, Kidtown. Enjoy your time. One of these days, I'm just going to go with you. Yes. Uh, but that is not today. Uh, Christine Gilbert, will you come and read for us from Colossians? Uh, this is chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, um, I feel like we rushed through that uh, first part of worship. So uh, we're just going to be still before you right now and uh, ask that you quiet our hearts uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would open our hearts um, to what you have for us. Lord, too often I'm not quiet before you <laughs> and um, miss what you want to say and what you're doing. So uh, speak now, Lord. Teach us. Uh, reveal truth to us. Uh, encourage our hearts, comfort our hearts, convict our hearts, do uh, what you promised to do when we open up your scripture. We ask this and we pray in your holy son's name, amen. All right. Well, if you've been with us this uh, fall, we've been in the book of Colossians, looking at the life of the uh, Colossian church. And... Um, this group of people who have come to faith in Jesus, and Paul has been spending an inordinate amount of time teaching them and talking to them and compelling them to understand, man, this is what has happened for you. You have this entirely new identity that's radically different as a result of what Jesus has done. Last week, these were some of the words that were spoken about that new identity. This is verse 12. He says, you're God's chosen people. You are holy and you are dearly loved. You're chosen. You think about how, how much of our lives is spent trying to get that verdict, right? Chosen, holy, I'm set apart, and I'm dearly loved. And he's saying, this is who you are now. This is what's happened for you in Christ. You can't change that. You can't take that away. You can't lose that. You can't mess that up. That's who you are now. And as a result of that, when, when you have that new identity, with that new identity, like being brought into a new family that has a, a completely different budget, you get all new clothes when you get this new family. And he says, because of that, you're holy and you're dearly loved and you're chosen. I want you to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. He's saying, these are the clothes of the new family. When you live in that new identity, 
This is the fruit. This is what it looks like. You're compassionate and you're kind and you're humble. I mean, all of those things, I want those things said about me, right? Isn't it beautiful being in a relationship with somebody who's like that? So Paul's saying this is who you are. These are your new clothes. And, and one of the main markers, last week Matt talked about this, is forgiveness. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow. How in the world am I going to do that? Well, what we're about to talk about this morning in these, these three verses is how I keep those spiritual clothes on, okay? How I, how I keep on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, how I keep living in the fact that I'm chosen and I'm holy and I'm dearly loved. Because isn't it a tall task to live and forgive as the Lord forgave you? I mean, if you really understand what that's saying, that, that should all cause us to go, right? Really? That's what you're inviting me into is a life of forgiveness the same way that the Christ forgave me. Well, how do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. hope you're ready. Four things. Four. See, sometimes I don't have three. Sometimes I have more things. I know. You guys are like, oh, gosh. Four things that he talks about here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. We're going to talk about what does that mean. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. We're going to talk about what does it mean for the word to dwell richly among us. And be thankful. We're going to talk about thankfulness. And then everything you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right? Those are our four things. Peace of Christ rule. Word of Christ dwell, gratitude and thankfulness, and then whose name am I doing things in? My name or his, all right? Let me pray again for us. Lord, speak to us. Wake us up. Help us receive this, uh, and help me say what you want me to. Amen. All right. Let the peace of Christ rule. I think if we're honest with ourselves... Uh, and I'm inviting you to be honest with yourself this morning. There are lots of things, and we've talked about this somewhat in Colossians, that seek to rule, right, in our lives. They have authority in our lives. They have power in our lives. And there are lots of things in our lives, if you're awake or you have a TV or a phone, there are lots of things in your life that are coming across your doorstep saying, if you have this, then you will have the peace that your heart most deeply desires, Right? These are the things that are going to deliver on the peace that you most deeply long for. And Paul is saying here that we actually have a choice because of this new identity in Christ. I have a choice now. I have the resources now to allow the peace of Christ, his peace to actually rule in my life, or I have the choice to allow something else to rule in my life. And he's saying here, as these new identity Christians, these, these new people, I want you to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That word rule there is the same word that we, we get in our English word for the word umpire or like a referee. Some of you shouted at referees yesterday at your TVs, I'm sure, because they didn't call it the way you wanted it, right? Let the peace of Christ umpire or referee my heart. 
is what he's saying there. Let him be the one who has authority on the, field of my, uh, the playing field of my life to make the call for me. And if you're, if you're thinking along with me, you realize, man, that, that is a real fight, isn't it? Like, I don't know about you, uh, I grew up in the summer times going to Michigan, and we would play King of the Raft. You guys ever play King of the Raft at camp or something? Where everybody gets on the raft, and then it's like, go, and people are just getting shoved off left and right. Well, sometimes life feels that way. Like, I know that Jesus is functionally on the throne. Like, I, I can't really push him off. He's king. Yet, it feels like a lot of days, all sorts of things, conflict in relationships, uh, discouragements, uh, things don't go the way I think they should. All sorts of things end up pushing Jesus off the raft, and now something else is king of the raft. That's functionally how it can feel. And even if I'm not like actively choosing to say, okay, I'm going to let this thing be on the raft, something more important than what Jesus says about me, be on the raft. Even when I'm not doing that, it, it seems like the enemy is constantly bringing other things to the table, saying, no, 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 let that thing rule your heart. Let that thing be the thing that gives you peace, right? And Paul's saying, what or who ultimately has the final say? Whose words, who rules? Does the peace of Christ rule or does something else rule? So I want you to ask yourself this question this week. What's your formula for peace? Because we all got them, right? When my daughter wakes up in the morning, it's pitch black. I've got a video of me. I'm just sitting in my bed. I just videoed the room because it's pitch black. And here's the first thing a lot of mornings that my daughter says, Elmo! 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 She starts screaming for Elmo, right? And you know, the crazy thing is, what she has in her mind is, is that, that's what I want. That's, that's what's going to bring peace in my life. And the funny thing is, I'll bring her out sometimes and I'll even turn on Elmo. I mean, not for a long time because I'm not that kind of parent, but, uh, you know, just... A little bit, just a smidge, like 15 minutes-ish, and uh, now we're at the point where I have to find little segments of Elmo. It's not like just turn Elmo on, it's like I got to have like that ABC section of the one with India RE, and then I've got to go over and find, yeah, you, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I gotta, you know, it's not just Elmo, it's, it's these parts, right? Because she has a formula for peace. I do too. Let me give you some of, my, some of my list. I'll have peace when, and just write that sentence down for you, and then spend some time this week filling in the blanks. I'll have peace when my circumstances are a certain way. Right? When things are going a certain way, then I can be at peace. But if they're not going a certain way, then I can't be at peace. Rather, what he's saying here and the peace of Christ ruling saying, I can have peace regardless of my circumstances. I mean, Philippians 4, Paul says it this way. He says, I know what it is to be in need and to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. It's another word for peace. Being at peace in all situations. I can do all things through him. He's saying that there's a peace available to me that's like completely disconnected from my circumstances. It's deeper than that. And you, if you are a believer, have met people like that. 
They've got a peace that runs like subsurface. It's like a submarine way down deep. Nothing on the surface can touch it. For me, a lot of days, my peace is built around my circumstances. How about when I get it right, then it will be all right. So my peace and my ability to perform or my ability to control. How about this? My peace is when people understand and applaud what I'm doing and I get the recognition that I hope for and I desire. So now my peace is attached to someone's opinion of me. I'll have peace when I have financial stability. Maybe my peace is in money. I'll have peace when my kids turn out how I want them to. Wow, that'll crush a kid. Talk about the ultimate you for me, right? I'll have peace when my marriage looks a certain way. There's lots of things in our lives that steal peace, that threaten peace, that play king of the raft. What Paul is challenging them is saying, if, if the peace of Christ isn't ruling in our heart, then everything else, it's a fickle peace. It's a fragile peace. It's easily lost. And you, really, ultimately, you have to keep doing something to keep that peace. It all swings on the hinge of you. So what is the peace of Christ? Like we say that, it's like, oh, yeah, the peace of Christ, pass the peace. Let's pass it. Actually, that is a really good, sweet practice in churches, but what is it? You know, does God, think about this for a second, does God ever feel like things are out of control? Does God ever feel hopeless or desperate or anxious? Scripture says this, that he himself is our peace, Ephesians 2. I'm going to take you on a, the, the tour de promises, the tour, the tour de France of the truth of what Scripture says that we have in Christ. He says, he himself is our peace. So peace is not a, it's not a feeling. It's not, not a feeling, but it's not just a feeling. It actually is speaking to the, the absolute experience of the presence and relationship that we have the, with the Lord. When he's king of the raft, when, he, when he's sitting on the throne, when he's in that place, his presence and our relationship with him, it literally creates peace in my life. Because what Christ has done, and this is what Paul's been arguing in his work, is he's, he's done away with us justifying ourselves to God. He's done away with us justifying ourselves to one another. And he's saying all of that that can't lead to peace. I, and what I've done leads to peace, and I want you to enter into my rest. So Jesus, Jesus is not like up there like anxiously wringing his hands. Jesus is at peace, is what Scripture tells us. And in him, we have peace. That's why he says in John 14, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, I do not leave with you as the world leaves with you. I'm not giving you something like the world gives you. I'm giving you something qualitatively different. I'm giving you me. Jesus is at peace, and in him we have peace because the entire universe, this is what Scripture says, is under his authority and under his power, and we are what? His chosen, holy, and dearly beloved. You hear that? 
The Alpha and the Omega says that about you. He's saying, this is all under my authority and under my power, and you're my beloved. And so therefore, I am holding everything together by my mighty hand. And so things like in Romans 8 where he says, I promise to work all things for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. That takes on a completely different meaning, doesn't it? Because nothing is outside of his awareness. Nothing is outside of his concern. He is not asleep at the wheel. I literally started thinking about this. I was thinking about Jesus in the boat. You remember that parable? Or it's not a parable, it's a story. Parables are stories, but it's an actual story, an account. Jesus in the boat in the storm with the disciples, right? These guys are like true, you know, stud fishermen who've been on the high seas many times. Such a crazy storm blows up that they are freaked out screaming, we're going to drown. Like, it would be hard. You guys seen like those greatest catch shows, the guys in Alaska where like waves are smashing, like that kind of a storm. And where's Jesus? He's asleep in the stern of the boat, right? That's the picture here. I'm at rest. The storm that's going on, it's not a storm to me. In fact, I'm in the center of that storm, and I'm with you in the center of that storm. I'm familiar with all your ways, with all your thoughts, with all your concerns, and with all your desires, says Psalm 139. I know the contours of your heart better than you know the contours of your heart. And I've guaranteed something by my blood. You have my righteousness. You have my acceptance. You have my place as a son and daughter. You are an heir to an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what Scripture says to you. And Paul's saying, let that, the weight of that, and we could, I could give you 15 more things. Let the weight of that reality of him rule. He's the king of the raft. You can't push him off. And he's saying something beautiful happens here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's not just talking about us as individuals. He's talking about us as a church. As you are called to one body, you are called to peace. He's saying when that happens, when the peace of Christ rules in our individual hearts and in our communal hearts, then the fruit of that, the fragrance of that, is things like peace, forgiveness, grace, love, humility, compassion, gentleness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit in us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Well, how do we begin to really let it rule? Second point. How does he begin? I'm not arguing the fact that all of these, this is not ultimately completely sequential, but I'm trying to help us see these things work together. How he begins to rule is he has to dwell in us by his word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ or the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The picture here, I can't wait for y'all. Those of you who are in small groups, this will actually be really fun. If you're not in a small group, grab somebody and talk about this with each other, okay? You don't have to be in a small group to talk about this stuff. Think about these metaphors that he's given. 
the picture here, the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is the picture of a master carpenter, not just a house guest, okay? This is not having somebody come hang with you for the weekend, right? This is somebody who is, is bringing, it's a king who is bringing immeasurable riches and he's setting up shop in your home, in your heart. So he's not some adjunct, adjunct professor, you know, that you're taking an occasional class from. He, he's the he's live-in artist. He's the resident scholar. One of the things, um, phrases I turn around in my mind is this. Jesus has refrigerator rights in my house. You guys know what refrigerator rights are? Do any of you work in an office where people put their food in a refrigerator for lunch? Raise your hand if you do that. Yeah, great. Have you ever eaten someone's food that wasn't yours? Honest, guys, come on. Yes? What was it? I'm kidding. <laughs> Could be a lot of things. No, well, you can. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the classic no-no, right? You know, that's not your food, right? It's got someone else's name on it. Well, refrigerator writes is this. I, he can have anything he wants in the fridge because it's all his. It's allowing and inviting him to come into, to dwell in whatever part of your life that he desires to bring transformation in. And let me just tell you, that's every part of your life. Lewis, CS. <laughs> There's lots of Lewises out there. He says this, um, and I've read this before, but it's just such a beautiful quote. It's worth reading. He says, I want you to imagine yourself as a living house. That's what, that's what Scripture calls us. We're, we're a living house house, spiritual stones. Imagine yourself as a living house and God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. So what he's saying there is, is I know there's some things that God needs to work on in my life. And so when he starts working on those parts of my life, I'm like, yeah, I knew he needed to work on those parts of my life. So I'm not going to resist that, right? Cool. Fix the drains, fix the roof. But presently, he starts knocking in the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Oh, wow. Now he's in the refrigerator. He's gotten into a place in the house where I'm like, no, no, that, that's not for you to mess with. That's, the, that's got my name on it, right? And Lewis is saying, no, no, he's not just here to fix the drains and fix the roof. He, he's coming into the whole house. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting up an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Words dwell, don't they? Man, 
Everybody getting ready for Thanksgiving? <laughs> going to go home and remember all the words that were said and weren't said? Words dwell in good ways and in bad ways. Words can dwell richly and words can dwell poorly. They can either lead to life or they can poison life. Because there's power in words. Some of you have had words that have been said to you that dwell in you and they have shaped every bit of how you view yourself and you view your life. It's not just that they got said, it's that you dwelled on them. Because that's what words invite, right? It's oftentimes what happens in conflict when people, that's why we're called to keep short accounts, forgive. Because when we go back into something that's been done, but there's a period of time that's elapsed from when the offense happened, it's not just dealing with what happened, it's dealing with what I've made out of what's happened because I've been talking about it in my heart and my mind over and over and again, and I've dwelt on it. And it's the same with words. Some of us have had words that have dwelt and that we've dwelt upon that have shaped so much of how we see our lives. And they're still the lenses oftentimes that we see life through. And yet Paul is calling us, he's calling them, he's calling us, have you heard the greater word from Jesus? Would you let that word dwell in you and would you let that word be the word that you dwell on? That's why in Psalm 1 it says, I meditate on your word day and night. I keep those words on the king of the raft. (laughs) Because if not, the other words that are fighting for that space, they're toxic. And they can't lead me to peace. Maybe momentarily, but not the peace I was made for. So his word dwelling in us, it's not just coming to church and learning theological truths. It's not learning just how to practically apply the things that he's saying here It's literally making space in our lives and our very selves for the Lord through his Holy Spirit and through his scripture to do things like, I need to affirm you. You are meant to be told how beautiful you are to me and that I love you. You need to hear it again and again and again. You need to be comforted because this is hard. Life is hard. This world is broken by sin. I am broken by sin and I do sinful things and sinful things are done to me and I need comfort for that. I need to be encouraged because I'm a coward. Many days. And I need his word and his spirit to put courage into me to do what he's called us to do. I need him to apply the truth to my heart. I need him to convict me of my sin. I need him to guide my steps, I need him to sanctify me and make me more and more like him. And he said, I've given you my spirit and I've given you my word and I've given you one another. I mean, that's what we do when we get together and have these sorts of conversations and groups is one example of that is we're working on each other's spiritual houses. Have you ever tried to hang drywall by yourself? It is horrible to try to do by yourself. And that's what a lot of us are doing. I'm spiritually trying to hang drywall by myself and wondering why my back hurts. 
It's because I was meant to do that in community, in the body. He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in all y'all richly. <laughs> and he's saying what my mentor used to say. It isn't, someone was talking about some of this this week. It isn't black ink on white pages, David, right? My Irish buddy, John Moxon. It's the living Jesus. He's moved in. He's got refrigerator rights. And he says, I want to draw near to you, children, through my word and through my spirit's work, and I will make you into my likeness. And you will have peace when you experience me through my word. So how do we let the peace of Christ rule? I just encourage us, one of the main ways is through letting his word dwell in us richly. Thirdly, and give thanks. Okay, we're building a triangle here. And give thanks. If you look in there, in that passage, it literally says thanks in every verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful there. Verse 15, dwell among you richly with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, all in the name of the Lord, give thanks to God the Father through him. Give thanks, thankfulness. It's weaving itself through each one of these verses. I've got more to say about this than I have time to say it. But here's this. One of the, we all have check engine lights, right? (laughs) One of the check engine lights in my heart when I know that the peace of Christ isn't ruling in my heart and when the word is not dwelling richly but I'm dwelling on other words, is oftentimes if I just pay attention to, is there any thankfulness in my life? Like, we have no shortage, me being chief of what I'm about to say, of complainers and critics in the world. And what Paul is saying here is that when the peace of Christ is ruling and the word is dwelling, gratitude thankfulness, we actually become thankful. It becomes a mark, a fruit of the peace of Christ ruling and his word dwelling. And, so it's a fruit, and it's also the way back to the peace of Christ ruling and the word dwelling. Practicing thankfulness. I don't know many people who even talk about this, honestly. I mean, it is... So easy to get together with people and practice frustration, isn't it? Practice what I'm not okay with. Practice discontent. Practicing gratitude is literally a lost art. And it's been replaced by competition, by comparison, by critique. And we live in a world that actually promotes a mindset of scarcity that basically says, You don't have what you need. When Paul is saying, you have the peace of Christ because you have him. He's been giving you his words, the words to replace all the broken words you were given. And so into that scarcity, into that not enough, he's saying, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. 
And he's saying, would you fix your eyes on it? Would you focus on my words? Would you see me sitting on the throne? And would you explore the endless riches that you have in and through him? Because when you do that, it produces joy in you. And when you don't feel that, sometimes the way back to that is by literally grabbing your heart and say, I will thank God. I will stop and I will find the things that I can praise the Lord for because there are things to praise him for. We've made way too small what he's done for us. So I either have a choice, I either have the choice to let him be the thing that sits on the throne, fix my eyes on him, or in fixing my eyes on the things of this world, what I experience is the opposite of peace. I don't know about you, but it is for me. I'm incessantly unfulfilled. I live in the anxious sense that I lack what I most deeply desire and deserve. And Paul is saying that one of the ways that we know that the peace of Christ is ruling and the word is dwelling is is gratitude pours out of us. And one of the ways back to it, I wish I had time to talk about how to do this a little bit more. Maybe we can talk about that some other time. One of the ways back to the peace of Christ ruling is, is I have to literally practice gratitude. Sometimes it's a fruit and sometimes it's the path. How do we do that here on Sunday morning? We have time for this. One of the things he says there is, is he says this, the, the message dwells amongst us richly as we teach one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to gratitude with God, <laughs> to God with gratitude in your hearts. You guys remember Elf, right? I'm singing, I'm singing, right? In the early church, that would have not been weird. I'm not kidding. For one of you to be so moved by the Lord that you would stand up and say, I have got to sing a song right now because I'm so happy. I mean, all, everybody just, their deodorant failed, didn't it? <laughs> like, you totally, <laughs> uh, like, but that was real. I, you know, I got to sing. I got to express what the Lord's done for me. Part of why we do this, we don't just it's not just something to fill the time. Hey, we got some folks to play some music for us and let's sing some songs together. This is actually, when you sing, you are teaching like I'm teaching. It's a different form of it. but You're actually speaking and singing the truth into one another's hearts. And sometimes I can't sing because I'm not feeling what you're feeling, but if I hear you singing, I, I can kind of like Coldplay or, you know, being at U2 in Dublin. I mean, you sing Where the Streets Have No Name with 90,000 Irish people. It's on, right? You're just going for it. Not because I necessarily was feeling that way, but I got caught up. So we sing the truth to one another, and we sing the truth into one another. And what it does is, is it deals with the spiritual amnesia, the spiritual Alzheimer's we have because we've forgotten the truth of who we are. I've forgotten that he's sitting on the throne. I showed you this video. Is it ready? Can we do it? This is a video uh, of how they use music with Alzheimer's patients to help them remember. I showed this a little while back. 
but I'm sure everybody wasn't here, so we'll watch it again. That's a good picture of what it means for us to even worship through song on Sunday morning and wake ourselves up to the truth. How old am I? Yeah. I'm 90 years old. What was life like when you were a little girl? I've forgotten so much. I've I've forgotten so much. I'm very sorry. Oh, it's okay. What have you forgotten? I've forgotten what I used to do after I became a young lady. I've forgotten so much. I can't remember. I've been here I've been here I've been here 90 years. And if I could remember. I would tell you, but I don't, I can't remember. I want to try an experiment. What? I want you to try and let the music take you back into your memories. To travel back into time. And then we'll stop and you can tell me where it took you. Um, okay. um, you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to be in that number. I win the same. Wow. He's saying when the saints go by, marching by, and it takes me back to my school days. I would like to hit the number. Mama told us not to go listen to him. We would sneak off at night, bring back pictures from the dance. And I worked in King's County nine years, the E building in King's County. My birthday, November 20th, 1920. That was in the wartime. I was working at Fort Jackson, and my son, on February the 4th, was 69. <laughs> I didn't know I could talk so much. The music wakes the memory, and she remembers what? Her life, who she is. Therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. Is it, would you dare to believe that that's part of why we gather and sing? Is I, I have to sing that song, I'm chosen, I'm holy, and I'm dearly loved. And I have to hear you sing it too, because I forget the song, I forget the truth. When we give thanks, we teach one another through song, and we let the peace of Christ rule, and the word begins to dwell, that triangle leads to the last thing, and it's this. Everything you do or word and deed, you do it in the name of the Lord. If I try to do it in the name of the Lord without the peace of Christ ruling, or the word dwelling, without gratitude, I, I can't do it in the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing to try to get peace. I'm doing what I'm doing to try to get the words that I need for life. And I'm doing what I'm doing to try to get something to make me thankful. But when I have peace, I'm at peace. I've got it. It's not something I gotta go find. It found me. And when I've got the words that my heart most deeply longs for, 
And when I get together with my brothers and sisters and we remember those things together, then I walk out of this place and instead of being somebody who's trying to do something to get glory for my name, my name is not the thing I'm interested in anymore. It's his name. I'm actually set free from self-promotion, self-concern, self-glorification. In soccer, you know I'm a soccer player. Not still, but you can see where, you know, kidding, gosh. In soccer, there's guys who kiss the badge, and then there's guys who point to the name on the back when they score a goal. The badge is the team. <laughs> on the back is your name, and that's the picture. Is saying when, when the peace of Christ is ruling, when the word's dwelling and I'm thankful, I can kiss the badge. I don't have to live my life going, burden, burden, burden. I don't. Because the glory that I was made for, it's not a glory I have to go accomplish or achieve. It's a glory that I share with him because of what he has done. And I'm set free now. We're set free now to glorify him and do everything in his name. So brothers and sisters, let the peace of Christ, will you let it this week? Rule in your heart to which indeed you were called one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in every area of your life, I mean, we could talk about that for a while, in word or in deed, so what you say or what you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing to end our time. And I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, will you sing? I don't care if you feel like it. Sing your heart into that place. Feel. Sing. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've given us this place and your word and one another and your Holy Spirit to come together and to put the headphones on and to remember who we are and whose we are, to remember that we are chosen, that we are holy because of what you have done. You have set us apart, and we are dearly loved, and there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from you, from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. We, if we are seeing you and seeing that truly, we should sing. We should be grateful, thankful. Lord, show us where we're not. Show us where other things are sitting on the throne of our hearts. Show us where other words have more power than your word in our life. And would you set us free uh, to be a community of peace, a community rooted and anchored in your word, and a community of thanks. This we pray in your name. Amen.